0: Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Good morning, church family. The body of Christ, the house of God, the temple of God, the army of God, the bride of Christ, all names for the church. And uh, we've been doing this series called Be the Church, and today we're going to talk about being the body of Christ. Last week we talked about, the bride of Christ. Today we're going to talk about the body of Christ. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. I'm going to pray for us, and uh, then we're going to jump into this message about what it means to be the body. So let me pray. Father, thank you uh, for each one that's gathered here today. You knew exactly who you wanted to be here. And for what reason? And uh, God, I know there are many distractions that come in our minds as we get to church and fights in the car and forcing kids in and trying to get them to the right spots and all those types of things. But God, I pray you speak to our hearts in this moment. I pray you'd still us, you'd speak to us, and you do the work of transformation you want to do. I know it's easy to go through the motions. So we come and we hear a sermon, we sing some songs, and we go back, and we eat lunch, watch football. And God, I pray that you'd meet with us in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we are the body of Christ. And in preaching on the body of Christ, I thought it would be only appropriate that I don't do it alone because there are many members in the body of Christ. Don't worry, I'm not calling on you. But I have asked a friend of ours from our church family, one of our members, Brent Butler, to come up here and uh, help me teach the sermon this morning. So I'm going to give Brent a hand as he comes on up here. Brent is going to teach us how to hit a baseball. And so Brent is especially qualified for the specific task. Some of you might know, some of you may not know, uh, that Brent played professional baseball. Actually played for our very own Durham Bulls. uh, At one point in 2007, I think was the season he played for the Bulls, six and seven. And in 2007, he played every position except for catcher. So he pitched, played all the infield positions, played all the outfield positions, pretty awesome. And uh, some people don't know, the reason why I asked Brent to come up here and, and hit a couple balls for us. Those of you who are getting nervous, he's not going to hit them towards you. He's going to hit them in that direction. And so if we could bring up the screen for that direction, that would be wonderful. There we go. Look, we brought our own ballpark here. That's like the old Durham Bulls park, not the new one. And uh, Brent, some some of you might not know this. Uh, You can buy his baseball card if you want all the information. But in one game... Come on, he's not selling cards. But he, he was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals and uh, played several years for the uh, Colorado Rockies. In one game, hit two home runs off of Mike Mussina. Some of you have heard of him, famous pitcher. Uh, hit a home run off Randy Johnson before, Kurt Schilling, uh, several other folks, and so he knows about hitting home runs better than I think probably anybody else here in our church body, and is certainly especially gifted. So you could, could you give us a couple swings and uh, show us what it's like to hit a ball? not a real baseball here, so the drum set will still work after the. Okay. Oh, that was kind of a grounder though, Archie. Archie's calm. You got a heckler? He's got a heckler right here. All right, why don't you hit a couple ones? All right, another low one there. We got a couple balls over here. We got to put one over the fence, Brent. Right? There we go. Oh, that's out of, that's, out, that's gone. That's still flying. Thanks, Brian. Good job, man. Well, what I wanted you to do, not just put on a demonstration for everybody, though, was to kind of talk to us about what it's like to hit a home run. Do you remember what it was like to hit Randy Johnson? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It didn't happen and all I remember, it, That didn't go <laughs> there. Yeah. And I remember, I know you've told me before, too, just when we've talked as friends, sometimes there's certain pictures you can kind of see it coming out of their hand, and then other guys, it's hard to see it coming out of their hands, and certain people, and all that kind of stuff, and there's a lot to it. Some people debate what's the hardest sport, hockey, you know, skating in the puck and all that stuff or hitting a fastball. If you don't think hitting a ball like that is hard, I challenge you go to Frankie's today, <laughs> get in the fast pitch cage and see if you can even get the bat around in time for that pitch to come around. I've gone all, eventually you just start holding the bat like trying to <laughs> aim it at the thing. It's hard. What does it feel like when you hit when you hit Randy Johnson, Curt Schilling, one of those guys? No. In the sweet spot i mean it's a hard it's hard to describe it's something that just feels right yeah um, there's really no description unless you do it and feel it yeah um, but there are plenty of places on this bat that let you know otherwise <laughs> what's it like <laughs> when you hit not on the sweet spot and some um, of these it, other spots it can be painful um it definitely grabs your attention mm-hmm. um if it's cold it even more so <laughs> yeah you mentioned before uh, before it's kind of ringing in your hand yeah it's a uh, it's I, I don't even know how to scrub that either it just hurts bad. <laughs> <laughs> But when you hit it, show me where the sweet spot is here. Um, well, it's a little bit different on a wood bat. wood bat's a lot smaller, so you're looking at an area probably this big. Um, so you think about that. that. Hold, hold those fingers up there. Think about some of these pitchers are throwing 100-mile-an-hour pitch. They're the best in the world at it. You're the best in the world at hitting it. Now, for those of you who don't know baseball, you're doing awesome in baseball if you hit what? If you're 3 out of 10, you're pretty good. So you're hitting 3 out of th- The last guy to hit 400 in baseball was Ted Williams in 1941 so if you're hitting 30 percent you're doing awesome in baseball you got this little spot right here yep that's you hit it. it on and when you hit it it just feels right it feels right it's solid um the sound of it i mean everything okay so, yeah. do you know when you hit it sometimes it's gone uh, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> you don't happen have to watch me, it but yeah you do okay when you play that's long awesome enough, you, you do you that's know sweet all right thank you brent let's give him a hand thanks, thanks brother appreciate it i'm take this How in the world does that tie into 1 Corinthians chapter 12? <laughs> Let me tell you how. The athletes know that there's a sweet spot on the bat, and like Brent said, it's pretty small, pretty small spot on this bat. The engineers have designed the bat to have this sweet spot. Here's why it applies to us today as we talk about this. Each one of us has been fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139 tells us that. God's uniquely made you. Also, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 tells us that that we're God's workmanship. He's weaving us together. Poema is the word that's used there. It's a Greek term. And that God's got works for you to do, specific works. Those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, so I'm not speaking to everybody today, but those of you who placed your faith in Jesus, you believe in his death, burial, resurrection for your salvation, you placed your trust in him, you've repented of your sins, you've asked him to be your savior, you received the Holy Spirit at that point. Not only does the Holy Spirit come to live within you, but you get what are called spiritual gifts. That's what we're going to talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And today I'm going to ask you the question, what is your sweet spot? Your sweet spot is that place where God's uniquely made you, Psalm 139. He's got a plan for you, Ephesians 2.10, and he's gifted you, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. When all those things come together, at the works he has for you to walk in, the need that is before you at this given moment, that's your sweet spot. Here's what you need to know about your spiritual gifting, though, before we even jump into the text. It's dynamic. Some of you might come in here thinking, I know my spiritual gifts. When I first trusted Christ 20 years ago, I started teaching in Sunday school. That's what I do, and that's what. They're dynamic in the sense that God can change them. If you don't use them, you're not faithful with them, He can take them away. If he wants to gift you for something else that you haven't been gifted at in the past, he can give you that gift. For instance, maybe you're walking out of here today and you are a gifted leader, a gifted administrator, but there's trash in the parking lot. Maybe God's saying you're now gifted and picking up trash. And that might sound silly, but he may just do it that way. But he's uniquely gifted each one of you. And so you might have the same gift I have, but it might not be the same because we've all been uniquely, dynamically gifted, and it's when that gifting comes in line with God's plan and the need that you walk in your sweet spot. And so what is your sweet spot? Not 10 years from now, not 10 years ago, today. That's the question I want you to ask yourself as we walk through this passage of Scripture in First Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have your Bible and you haven't turned there already, First Corinthians chapter 12. What's going on here as we do this series called Be the Church is that Paul's writing to the Corinthians about what it is for them to be the church, but they're living in a time where it's hard to even be a Christian. Can you relate? There's three things you need to know about the city of Corinth before we read any of this letter. The first one is they were wealthy. In fact, they were famously wealthy, and so we live in kind of an affluent area. They're also known for sports. The Corinthian games were second only to the Olympic games there, so they love sports. Do we love our sports here in Raleigh-Durham or what? Anybody watch the game? Anybody? Any Duke fans for football yesterday? All right. We've got a couple guys. You were waiting for that moment, Jim. I knew it. Any NC Staters here? All right. You were making a little nervous at the end there, but cardiac kids. You got it together. we got some basketball fans here, I'm sure. We've got that's, There you go. No. No, Todd. I know who that is. They whipped on my team last night pretty bad, so congratulations, Todd. Durham, we got our own Durham Bulls. Uh, we've got the Carolina Panthers. Some of you are going to watch today. We love sports. So we've got some things in common with Corinth. There's the last one that's the three things you need to know about Corinth is one that hopefully we wouldn't have in common. They were famously immoral. In fact, they would say about the Corinthians to, to Corinthianize was to, if, you, if someone said your girlfriend was a Corinthianizer, that wasn't a compliment. That was bad news. In fact, Corinth was known because they had this this, uh, hill that kind of stood above the town, and on the top of it was the Temple of Epaphrodites. And there were hundreds of prostitutes that were temple prostitutes that would sell their bodies for religious worship. And so that's what this town was known. They didn't even have the internet, so maybe we're worse. And then this church at Corinth. There's a church in the middle of this town, in this place where it's hard to even be a Christian, and Paul's writing them about what it's like to be the church, and they are messed up as a church. He starts off talking to them about their issues. There's a bunch of divisions. Some of them say, I follow Apollos, and some of them say, I follow Paul. And Paul's saying to them, Don't we all follow Jesus? Why are, you picking, why are there divisions within the church? And they're suing each other. They can't even resolve their own conflict. They're actually taking each other to court. There's immorality that's taking place, and they're just tolerating it. They become just like their culture. And so Paul's rebuking them. In the second half of the book, he's answering questions they have. By the time he gets to chapter 12, he's answering a question about spiritual gifts. A key verse in chapter 12, I'm going to read several times this morning, is verse 7. And so if you have your Bible, you can look at verse 7. I'm reading the English Standard Version. It says this, To each, that's every one of us, to each one is given a spiritual gift. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Through so your gifts that the Spirit lets his presence be known. The manifestation of the Spirit. For what reason? For the common good. I like how the message translates it. So I'll put that up on the screen. But the message, a paraphrase of the Bible, says it like this. Each person is giving something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit to all kinds of people. And then what happens in verses 8 through 11 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that Paul lists a bunch of the gifts. And then in verse 12, he starts to use the analogy of the church being the body of Christ. And so I'm going to read verses 12 through 18. Read them with me. Verse 12, it says this. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, like we talked about last week, there's diversity in the body. We talked about last week how there's some people that have Jewish backgrounds, some people have Muslim backgrounds, some people Jehovah's Witness backgrounds, some people Baptist backgrounds, some people Catholic backgrounds, some people have never gone to church before, believe it or not. He's saying here there's racial diversity There's religious diversity, and he says, And all are made to drink of one spirit. One spirit, one Lord, one baptism. We're united, although we're very diverse. But then in the context of talking about gifts, listen to what he says. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Just because you don't think you're part of the body doesn't mean you're not part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, if everybody had the same gift, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And listen to this, don't miss this verse. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. He chose. He's got a specific plan for you, a specific plan for each one of us. He's gifted each one of us. He's brought us. Each one of us has a different story that we come with. Each one of us has a different background. But each one of us has placed our faith in Jesus Christ as part of the body of Christ, and the body of Christ has many members. That's our first point today. The body of Christ has many members. And the question becomes, who's the body of Christ? Well, you go back up to verses 1 through 3. If you've brought your Bible, you can see them. Paul talks about it. Now concerning spiritual gifts, there's our topic. Brothers, that's who he's talking to. I don't want you to be uninformed. And So what is he going to teach him? You know that when you were pagans, they were, past tense, pagans. What do pagans live like? You were led astray to mute. Some of your translations say dumb idols. However you were led. An idol is anything we put in the place of God. And saying you were led by that. So you were going in a direction with that. But then verse 3. Therefore... I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So no one can, he's talking to people that are submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. We read that one verse earlier uh, from Acts where it says that God raised Jesus from the dead, that he'd be our leader, our Lord, that he's, the, he's in charge. And so when you've bowed your knee to Jesus Christ, that's how you become part of the body of Christ. We talked about in week one when we were in Acts chapter 2. And there were 50,000, maybe 200,000 people there on the day of Pentecost. But there were 3,000 that were marked out as the church. What is it that made those 3,000 people different? Because they were all sinners. And we're all sinners. But what makes us different is that we're repenting sinners. That means we bowed our knee to Jesus Christ. That we were following idols, whatever those idols might be. It might be other people's opinion. It might be what dad would think of us. It might be getting somebody's approval. It might be trying to make mom happy. It might be trying to do something at work. It might be trying to get money. It might be sex. It might be your spouse. It might be all kinds of different things. that we pursue that as Lord. It controls our life. It directs our life. But at some point, we stop and we turn to God. That's repentance. That means that we once were one way and we become another way. And so the first week, we talked about it's I once was, but now I am people. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. The but now is the repentance. I once was going my own way, but now I've been reconciled to God. That's who Paul's talking to here. Is he talking to you? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If so, you are the body of Christ. There are many members in the body of Christ. And it's that diversity brought into unity that he puts his glory on display. So if you look at verses 4 through 6, what you see is the whole trinity. Look at verses 4 through 6. Now there are varieties of gifts. Diversity. But the same Spirit, unity, there's the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, the varieties of activities, diversity, but there's this, the, the same Lord, Jesus Christ. One, unity, diversity. The varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all, God the Father and everyone. Unity, diversity. Diversity. And here you've got in verse 7, and he says this, to each, every one of you, everyone, no one's, it's not just the ones that God really loves, it's not the special one. it's not the one who pray a lot more, who read the Bible a lot more, everyone, every member of the every repenting sinner has been given a gift, a manifestation of the Spirit. That's how God's presence is made known. For what reason? The common good, not for your self-actualization, not so you can feel better about yourself, not to know your true identity, but for the common good of who? He's talking here to the church at Corinth. To the church, to your church. That's why you've been given a gift. But here's what you need to know about your gift. Your gift is unique. There are many. You're not supposed to have mine. I'm not supposed to have yours. They're all unique. Max Lucado in his book called Cure for the Common Life, and maybe where I got the analogy for the the sweet spot here, because the subtitle is living in your sweet spot, says this. Da Vinci painted one Mona Lisa. Beethoven composed one fifth symphony. And God made one version of you. He custom designed you for a a one-of-a-kind assignment. That's Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For you are God's workmanship, his poema, his masterpiece. And everyone here comes with a different story. Just know that. Just know that truth for the rest of the life of this church, okay? Anybody who comes to this church one time or they come and they become part of what's happening here, everybody who walks through those doors has a story, And some people, that's like enlightening to them because they're going through so much pain and they talk to somebody else who's been through something like, oh, I guess everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. Everybody's got sin in their story. Everybody's got pain in their story. Most people have some victory in their story. We've all got a story. So everybody that you're sitting by right now has a story. And they're different. There may be commonalities. There may be overlapping. But they're all different stories. And God uses that. And you're all different. Psalm 139 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. It's the first passage of Scripture I studied as a believer. And I remember going through it and realizing how well God knows me. If you read Psalm 139, it says that he knows your thoughts before you think them. Think about that. He knows your activities before you do them. He knows your words before you say them. And then get this truth. He still loves you. And so you're unique. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139 says. He wove you together in your mother's womb. But even before you were in your mother's womb, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, yeah, you're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared beforehand. That was before time, by the way. He had a plan for your life before you were in your mother's womb. And then here it talks about that you've been gifted, but everybody's got different gifts because verses 8 through 11 then go and list the different gifts. And you look at verses 8 through 11. I won't read all of them, but here's some of the gifts. Utterances of wisdom. Utterances of knowledge, faith, wait a minute, we're all supposed to have faith, that's right. But some people have a level of faith, it's like a supernatural ability to trust God. But we all have to have faith, it's the same as prayer, we're all supposed to pray, the same as giving, we're all supposed to give. But some people have this gift, gifts of healing, of miracles, of prophecy, of speaking in tongues, of distinguishing the spirits, of interpretation of tongues, and these are the ones that are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are other lists in other places of the Bible that don't match this list. If you want to study this more on your own, go to Romans chapter 12, read verses 4 through 8. You'll see a different list of gifts there. The gift of administration, some people have. The gift of giving, some people have. The gift of mercy, some people have. The gift of leadership, the gift of teaching. There's a different list there. And then you can go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 and you'll see a list of offices. Some are evangelists, some are apostles, some are prophets, some are teachers, you go to 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 10 and 11 and you'll see that Peter just makes it real general. He says some have the gifts of speaking and some have the gifts of service. And he just gives these categories. And if you go to the Old Testament, you'll see even different gifts there. And you'll see it's real clear in the Old Testament that some gifts are given for a time and then not given for another time. In Exodus chapter 35 verses 30 and 31 it says this, then Moses said to the people of Israel, "See, the Lord is called by name and I can't say this guy's name, isn't that ironic?" Bezalelel, you look it up on your own. <laughs> the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And then listen to how God's gifted them, And God's filled him with the Spirit of God. Remember the manifestation of the Spirit, verse 7? With skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. So he's got the gift of crafts. <laughs> with glitter and glue. I don't think that's what I meant right there, but. There's all these different categories of gifts. And so some of you here may be gifted in teaching, and then I have a gift of teaching, And so that we do, but your gift of teaching and my gift of teaching aren't the same. You know why? Because you're unique and I'm unique, and the opportunity before you and the plan that God has for you is different than the plan he has for me and the opportunity before me. And so your gifting and my gifting aren't the same. So you've got these categories. Maybe somebody has the gift of mercy and somebody else has the gift of mercy. doesn't mean it's the same gift. It's a unique gift for each one of us because we're unique individuals. And so somebody has the gift of giving, somebody else has the gift of giving. Both gifts of generosity, both fit in this category, but how they express themselves may not be the same because they're unique. Here's why that's good for you to know. Because after the service today, if you go to our Be Involved table, there's a test that you can take. If you've never taken the test before, if it's been years since you've taken the test, we want you to take that test again. It's called Assess Me, and it kind of gives you an idea of what some of your strengths might be based on some questions you ask. Now, if you want the test to say something, you can make it say that. You're all smart enough to figure that out. But if you humbly just go to it and say, this is where I'm at right now, at this stage of my life, then the test is going to give you some categories. That doesn't mean you have it figured out. Now you've got some categories to use. But what you need to do is live in community with people, people that love you enough to speak truth into your life, try some things out, just trial, trial and error, working through some stuff, and you find out where your sweet spot is. But here's the temptation that's very difficult for most of us. Most of us suffer from what's called gift envy. Even if you're envying somebody's gift, it's the same gift as yours. Two people can have, both have the gift of giving, and one person thinks about the other person, well, if I had as much money as them, I'd get buildings named after me, too. Well, somebody has a gift of mercy. Well, if I just had their platform, I could use my gift more. And we have this tendency for our eyes to go to other people's gifts and start thinking about what their gifts are and wish that we had their gifting. It reminds me of a passage of scripture in John chapter 21. John chapter 21, Peter's getting restored by Jesus. See, Peter blew it. He denied he ever knew Jesus. And and I love Peter. He gives me so much hope because he blew it so bad. And so when I blow it, I'm like, God, you still have a plan. I'm still breathing. You still got a plan for my life. And so here's Peter. He denied he ever knew Jesus. Then what happens? He goes back to his old way of life. He's not just fishing as a hobby. He's going back to an old way of life. And then he's out there fishing. It's not working. Ever been in that place before where you're trying to force your thing? And then Jesus, I don't know if Jesus mocked people or not, but it kind of seems like he's mocking him. Why don't you throw your net on the other side, Peter? (laughs) I think I haven't tried that, Jesus. I've been out here all night. Throws his net on the other side of the boat, catches a whole bunch of fish. Then Peter, fashion, he runs to the shore. Jesus already has fish. (laughs) I don't need you, Peter. I don't need your fish. But I love you. Let's have breakfast together. They eat breakfast. When breakfast is done, he asks Peter the same question three times do you love me? I do. Do you love me, Peter? The third time, the Bible says that it grieved Peter's heart that he had to ask him a third time. He's asking him a third time because he's restoring Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. After that's over with, then what Jesus does is he tells Peter, you follow me. Same command he gives to all of us. Two words, follow me. All of us have to obey that command we're going to follow Jesus. Follow me. And then he tells Peter how he's going to die. And the way that Peter's going to die is by crucifixion Nobody wants to hear that. Don't you want to know what God's plan for your life? Not if it's that. <laughs> the very next verse in John chapter 21, it says that Peter turns around and he looks and John's walking behind him. And then he says, what about this guy? What's your plan for his life? That's the propensity we all have. What about what you're doing here? And then Jesus, I love his response. He says, what is it to you? How does it make any difference to your life, Peter, if I let that guy live until I come back? What if he lives to be 2,000, Peter? does that matter to you? And then he gives them those two words again. Follow me. You, I imagine Jesus looking with piercing eyes. You follow me. Get your eyes off of everybody else's stuff. Get your eyes off of everybody else's plan. And you look at me. That's where you blew it, Peter, when you're out on the water. You took your eyes off of me. And the same with you and the same with me. And our propensity is to start looking at what other people have and how God's using other people and wish that we could be used like that and wish that we could do those things. And Jesus is going, you follow me. I've got a sweet spot for you. And if you start acting like you want a gifting that's not the gifting that I've given you, you're telling God he made a mistake. You're telling God he made a mistake with you. He made you fearfully and wonderfully. You're his masterpiece. So you've got to walk in. That's what he made those good works for you, to walk in those good works. That's live in your sweet spot. So I, I, I preach this to you. I'll tell you, I struggle with it myself too. I was thinking back when I first started preaching, I remember I would listen to like Andy Stanley preach and I'd be like, he is so good at applying the scriptures. And before long, I'd be preaching. I'd be like, I'm preaching Andy Stanley's message. Like, why am I applying? I'm making the applications he made. I'd listen to Chuck Swindoll teach. That guy is the best storyteller I've ever heard. And then I would start telling his stories, not like his personal stories, but like, he, you know, some guy here or whatever. And I'd listen to Tony Evans. You want to hear something funny? Listen to me trying to teach, teach, like Tony Evans. Have you ever heard Tony (laughs) Evans. Ever heard Alistair Begg? You want to hear me talk with an accent? (laughs) You know what happened was, I would hear these guys and I would envy their gifts. And I would want to be them. But what I'm doing in that moment is I'm not being me. God only made one me. And I might never be as good at applying the scriptures as Andy Stanley or as good at telling a story as Chuck Swindoll. But you know what? He's got Chuck Swindoll at Strombriar Church in Dallas, Texas. Got Andy Stanley's in Atlanta. He's got me here at this church at this time. So I gotta walk in those good works. What about you? Some of you got the gift of hospitality. Who are the strangers you're supposed to be greeting? Because that's hospitality. Some of you got the gift of mercy. Who are the people you're supposed to be showing mercy to? Some of you got the gift of leadership. How are you leading for the kingdom of God? Not just being a leader in your business, not just being, but how are you using your business to lead people to God? Some of you have got the gift of administration. Some of your gifts are less seen. Some of your gifts are more seen. But let me tell you something about the gifts. They all have a place. In fact, that's our second point. There are many members. There are a lot of gifts represented here. There are many members in the body of Christ. Every member has a place in the body. Every member has a place in the body. Every part has a place. Look at verses 15 through 18 with me again. The foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it a less a part of the body. we can say lots of things, it doesn't make them true. And if the ear should say, "cause I'm not an eye, I do not belong, to, so you see the envy happening here, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, then the whole body would be a part. That's not what the next part says. It says, "Where would be the sense of hearing? We need each other. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. And what Paul does here is he gives us three really self-evident truths about the body, which are also true about being the church. The first one is this, that every part is a part. And what that means is this, every part is unique and every part is dependent on the other. That third truth is the one that's hardest for us in the American church to identify with, to apply really. is that we're actually supposed to be dependent upon one another. Because everything in our culture actually teaches us to be independent. And so you even hear Christians talk about, I'll take responsibility for my own spiritual growth. That's fine. How much responsibility are you taking for your church's spiritual growth? How are you letting them take responsibility for your growth? Because that's how the scripture actually says it's supposed to work. We're supposed to work interrelated with one another, dependent upon one another. Every part is a part. No part is the body all by itself. Every part is needed. Every part has a unique role. And what we're going to read in verses 19 through 26 in just a moment shows that we exalt some parts probably more than we should, and there are some parts we don't talk about that we should probably exalt more than we do. And so you think about that and how that works. Some people have the gift of giving, and maybe they have a lot of money, and they get, and this is, and they get their name on something. Somebody has the gift of teaching, and so they get a microphone and some spotlights. What about the gift of crafts? <laughs> there are some people here who actually have the gift of crafts, not just craftsmanship. Some of you can build some stuff. That's awesome. There are people here in our church that have actually served for a long time, some of them, Doing crafts for our bridge kids ministry. We don't talk about that very much. Some people don't even know that it exists. I've heard teachers say before, oh, it makes my life so much better when I can come and the crafts are all in play. If all the supplies are just there for the kids to be able to do the crafts, and so then they can use their gift of teaching so then those kids can hear about Jesus. Maybe we should give more exaltation to the gift of crafts because their blessing The adults that are sitting in this room, sometimes we don't realize how big of a deal our gift is. So some of you teach and bridge kids, and so then the parents get to come in here, and some of them get to hear the gospel. Some of those kids have never heard the gospel before. We've actually had kids leave, and the church teachers have heard them say, I've never heard about Jesus like that before, because they're not hearing it at home. Some of you, you become the place where they come, and you're reinforcing things that are taught at home, but you're giving the parents an opportunity to soak in God's word and be refreshed. Thank you for serving. Thanks for serving in those ways. You think about what we've experienced this morning. Those of us who are in this room, if you were in here while the music was still going, you saw the worship team going. you got some people that are gifted in musical instruments. you got Adam's got the gift of dance over here on this side. And Crystal's able to sing. And you got the drums going. Whenever the drums get going, boom, I'm ready. I'm in. It's like a spirit moves at that moment. But you know what we don't oftentimes talk about? It's the tech team. Think about the tech team. When do you think about them? When the slide doesn't come up on time, right? And you're thinking, what's the guy back there sleeping? What did he eat? Too many donuts? He's in sugar coma? Come on, I want to sing this song and praise Jesus. Or, or some terrible sound. Don't do it, Ryan. I know you got the ability. Some terrible sound comes out of that speaker, and all of a sudden everybody looks back and sees Ryan back there. And I always think of the tech team. That's right. I knew he would. The tech team, those of you who watched football yesterday, they're like the offensive line of our church, okay? Think about the offensive line. How much do you think about the offensive line, those of you football fans? Only when they get a holding call or jump off sides, right? And so Ryan does that. Everybody looks back like, what's that guy's problem? Why didn't he just do his job? It's like you do your job when nobody thinks about you. That's when you've done a great job as a tech team. Why aren't we thankful for our tech team? Let's give them a hand. Give the tech team a hand. Some of our, God uses some of these folks beyond what they realize even sometimes in what they're doing. Some of you, not only are they they setting the table for God's truth to go forward and people to be connected for to Jesus for life change, but even some people seeing them serve. I remember one story from early in our church. I didn't tell the first service about this one, but some of our ushers were seating people, and you just think, well, that's what an usher does—they get people to their seats, right? And so, but we had somebody come in early in our, the life of our church had a really serious counseling appointment, and they were talking about some some big stuff. And they said, "What well, gave them the courage to come in and talk to our staff?" was that they saw the ushers singing the worship songs while they were seating people. And they thought, well, those guys, they must really believe this stuff here. And then gave them the courage to then experience life change. See, you never know how God's going to use you. Some of you just smiling at somebody in the lobby. You don't know the last time they experienced someone being friendly. Some of you give hugs. There's no, some people don't ever get healthy touch. You never know how God's going to use that. Some of these things that we don't exalt, we should probably make a bigger deal about. Crafts. Tech team, whatever the different things are. Some of the things we make a big deal about, teaching, giving, whatever the the public stuff is, the speaking type gifts, probably shouldn't be. They're just using their gifts too. And then there are some of you here, you're not going to fit into any of these categories that we do the test for or that we have ministry opportunities for after the service. There's a table for all the different teams on Sunday morning. You want to be involved in one. Hopefully you go out there and connect with those tables. Hopefully you serve. Some of you don't fit in any of those categories. That's okay. Maybe we need to do something new. Please know that. Let me hear it from me. We just, tell us what it is that you do. And then we'll find the need and the body and how we can use that to connect people to Jesus for life change. We'll do it. And we never had a parking lot team until we came to this facility, just so you know. When we were over at the movie theater, if you couldn't park your car, you weren't going to make it to church anyways. Like, there was just spots everywhere, right? But if you have parked out in the main area out there, you've been blessed by our parking lot team. And they're out there, rain, shine, it's snow, you're parking on the line, not parking on the line. Some of them are impressed by some of the big vehicles you get to park in those spots, by the way. I've heard the stories. Some of you are not so polite sometimes. That's okay. We're glad you're here. But they're out there. are you thankful for our parking lot team? Give them a hand. (laughs) Give the parking lot team a hand. Give them a hand. We will start a new team here at at Southbridge. We'll start a new ministry. Some of you maybe have a gift of teaching. You haven't been able to use that gift in certain ways. We'll start. You want to start a Bible study? Talk to us. We'll We'll start a Bible study. We'll find the people. How can you connect them? Grow them in the Word. Some of you here, we're going to be starting a new team tonight at our member meeting. If you didn't know we're having a member meeting and you're a member, uh, we'd love to have you come back here uh, tonight at this, this very spot, 6 o'clock, and we're going to talk about why it is we're starting deacons, how come deacons started in the Bible, and why is it we're doing it as a church, and you want to interact over those things. Come on, tonight, we'll start new stuff. God's got a spot for you. He's got a spot for you, and there's a need for you. And he's got a gifting that's specifically for you. Dynamic, unique, gifting. So don't ask yourself, what were you gifted in 10 years ago? Not 10 years from now, today. What does God want you to do today? What is your sweet spot? You look at this passage of Scripture, and you see that we're supposed to be dependent upon one another in this. Because you look at what happens next. Look at verse 19. We'll read verses 19 through 26. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. They all need each other. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. They're all dependent upon one another. I remember when I first moved here uh, to plant this church, and my wife and I, I bought a house. We were building a fence in the backyard. I hired this guy to build the fence. And part of the deal was I had to meet him at Home Depot to pay for the lumber that was going to build this fence. And his name was John. And I remember my interactions with John because John swore like every other word. I may or may not have been judging him. Don't judge me in this moment. I can't remember. But I remember his like, swearing like crazy. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even know anybody to talk like that. But I have been around two Christians for so long. And he's just swearing like crazy. And he said, why did you move here? I said, to start a church. <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I was thinking, really? <laughs> and then he said, I'll never forget this. I wrote it down. I'll never forget that He said this. He said, yeah, I'm not going to go to church. Maybe when I have kids so I can brainwash them. But in the meantime, I do Christianity best on my own. There are a lot of stuff wrong with that statement, okay? And sometimes you've got to decide as a pastor, what heresy are you going to deal with and what are you going to just let go? The thing that bothered me the most, of course, I don't want to brainwash these kids. This idea that there's some concept out there that you can be an obedient Christian on your own. It's not possible, just so you know. There are 59 commands in the Scripture that are just one another's, by the way. So it is, impo- you, it is possible It is possible to be a Christian and not be in a church. It is possible to be a Christian and be not in relationship with other people. It is impossible to be an obedient Christian and to live that way. We're meant to depend upon one another. Now, no one here today probably thinks what John thinks because you're here today. Unless somebody drug you here today, you probably don't think that extreme but many of us live practically that way. I'll do my devotions every morning. I'm responsible for my spiritual condition. I do my thing. I'm going to consume religious goods from wherever I can get those religious goods. But you're not thinking about the body and how you're robbing the body by not using your gifts. You're not thinking about how do they how are they supposed to speak into your growth. See, that's what this passage is talking about, the interdependence. We're supposed to have dependence upon one another. But the American way is that we're all independent and self-sufficient. That's not God's way. I realize when you push against the system, you're pushing for change, and that gets resistance. Some of you are going to hate this. I understand that. I hope you know I'm doing it because I love you. It says here, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. Verse 23, And on those parts of the body that we think less honor, honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on the unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which are more presentable parts, do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. There's a one another. Care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's how it's supposed to be in our interdependence. This is easy to think about physically, right? If you get a toothache, your head hurts, your whole body, you don't want to do anything. Everything's connected together. You ever woken up in the middle of the night and you're groggy and you're kind of in like a drunken stupor from sleep and something reaches out and grabs that little toe on your foot, pulls in a direction it's not supposed to go? You ever had that experience before? It's like, why do I even have a little toe? I don't need a little toe. But you're walking through and you hit that thing and it hurts so bad you can taste it. Ever had that experience before? And there's like, and you want to say words that remind you you are not yet like Jesus. Jesus. And as a pastor, they're Christian swear words, right? They're Christian swear words in my head. I think, not really, but anyway, any rate. They're, they're. And then my wife's over there sleeping, and I want her to know how bad it hurts, but I know if I wake her up, it's going to hurt worse, so I don't wake her up. I'm just starting, there's like noises that start to come out, and your eyes are welling up. And it's all from the. Have you ever seen a baby toe? It's like that big. It'd be so much pain from that baby toe. And it reminds us the whole body's connected to each other. So let me ask you this. Somebody's parent dies in our church. Does it hurt you? Somebody else is—they're trapped in sin. Do you feel the ripple effects of that? Somebody else is their, their child walks away from the Lord, or they get cancer, or or their spouse dies, or they go through a divorce. Do you feel? Do you hurt when they hurt? And then, God does something amazing. He heals somebody. He saved somebody. Somebody who wasn't walking in the light decides to walk in the light. Somebody who wasn't walking in the truth walks in the truth. They go into a new level of faith. God's doing the work that he promised he would do when he began to do a work in them and you're watching it happen in their lives. Do you rejoice in that? Are you so independent that it's like, yeah, those people, there I mean, they're at my church and we go to the same church and hopefully good stuff for them and we don't see them anymore. Whatever, I'm still here. Because that's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be so interconnected that when they hurt, you hurt When they rejoice, you rejoice. That's the interdependence of one another. That's what it is, that every part has a part. Because when we talk about being involved, by the way, we don't just mean find a place to serve at this church. Hopefully you'll do that. But it's being so involved in one another's lives that when they hurt, you hurt. When they rejoice, you rejoice. That's how the body's supposed to work. But there's only one context that that these gifts are supposed to function in like this. And it's in chapter 13. And so our third point is this. That apart from this context, your gifts are worthless. God's gifts are meaningless without love. God's gifts are meaningless without functioning in the context of love. So I'm going to read you the first three verses in chapter 13. Now some of us, we we divorce chapter 12 from chapter 13 because kind of the way we read our Bibles. But you need to know the verses and the chapters, they're there for your convenience. Those weren't inspired by God. Chapter 13 is still part of chapter 12. They're connected to one another. And so, what happens in verses 27 through 31 that we're skipping over right here is that Paul gives another list of gifts. He gives some more gifts, some offices that he didn't mention in verses 8 through 11, which then again just shows none of these lists are exhaustive. But then in verse 13, he says this If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, languages we've never even heard, but have not love, I'm just making noise, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, and listen to these gifts. And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. I know everything. If I knew everything. And if I have all faith. I believe God in all circumstances. In every situation. So much so that I can do miracles and remove mountains. But have not love. I'm nothing. If I give away all I have. He's got this gift of generosity. And if I deliver up my body to be burned. I'm willing to be martyred. It's possible to be martyred for God and it'd be meaningless. But I have not love, he says, I gain nothing. The gifts are worthless apart from the context of love. That's how they were meant to function. The same as it would have been wrong for Brent to stand up here and hit real baseballs out into the audience. There is a place where when he hit baseballs into the audience, they cheered for him. People dove over each other to try and catch him. Y'all would have been suing us if we'd done that. Wrong context. You can have amazing gifts. I don't know what your gift is. Hopefully, you'll take the test. Hopefully, you'll talk to your community. Hopefully, you'll try some stuff out because isn't that kind of how it works in a family? Like, think about your kids. You want to know what your kids' gifts are? You see what they kind of have some natural propensity towards, and then you give them an opportunity to do it. Maybe it's piano lessons. Maybe it's ballet. Maybe it's roller derby. I don't know what you do. Soccer, singing, science, whatever it is. And if they're not good at it, you don't want to spend too much resources there, too much time there. You redirect them. And so as a family, we give each other space to try these things out But you can find out you're amazing at something. But if you're not doing it for the sake of the other people, because what is love? It's doing what they need, it's doing what's in their best interest. Remember, last week we talked about husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know what that requires? Sacrifice. And he gave himself up for the bride, the church, for you. That's love. So can you imagine a group of people that actually got what it was to live in their sweet spot and you saw that and they were caring for each other and loving each other in that way, interdependent upon one another, what that would look like and you'd want to be a part of that except for maybe there'd be a hesitation because it requires incredible sacrifice. Can you even imagine what that would be like to see that? That's what it was like in the early church and that's why it says in Acts chapter 5 some people didn't want to join. They saw it, everybody thought it was awesome, but we don't want to join that. What did Jesus say? If anyone wants to follow me, you must take up your cross, deny yourself, follow him. Who doesn't want the abundant life? Jesus came to give the abundant life. But If anyone wants to save his life, you've got to lose your life. It, it's always sacrifice. But what happens is you walk in that sacrifice and you end up walking in your sweet spot because it's how you were made to live. What did verse 7 say? Verse 7 said that each one has given a gift. Each one is given. It's given the manifestation of the Spirit, God's presence on display. For what reason? Not your self-actualization, not so you can feel good about you, not because you're awesome, for the common good of the body of Christ. Do you know what? There, there was a group of folks that people looked at and said about them, that's different. I want that, but I don't know if I want to be a part of that. It was the early church. It started in Acts chapter 2. And for about the first 300 years of the church's existence, we see historical record of people seeing people like that. Let me read you some historians on what they said over the first 300 years of the church. Tertullian said that the Romans would proclaim about the Christians, see how they love one another? Remember what I told you in, in, in week one? John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says, by this all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another, each other. They were doing it. Justin Martyr said this, talking about Christian love, We who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else, now bring what we have into a common fund and share it with anyone who needs it. We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. Clement said this, talking about people who had, had experienced conversion. He impoverishes himself out of love, so that he is certain he may never overlook a brother in need. Especially if he knows he can bear poverty better than his brother. He likewise considers the pain of another as his own pain. That's what we just read. And if he suffers any hardship because of having given out of his own poverty, he does not complain. Willingly, loving sacrifice because you're benefiting others because it's what God created you to do. What is your sweet spot? It's that place that God's made you. You are His workmanship, fearfully and wonderfully made. There are many members in the body of Christ. Everyone has a place. You've got to find that place where the need intersects with your gifts and the opportunity in the moment. They're dynamic and unique. What is your sweet spot? Let's pray.